Hey, unfuckers, it is a very, very, very special year-end edition of Show Notes. And the reason it's special is not because it's the end of the year. It's special because, once again, we have united the clans. Air horn noises, air horn noises. (laughs) Manny's at a disadvantage because he doesn't have his trusty board with him. (laughs) But he has made it all the way from Hotlanta to Nueva York. Mm-hmm. To hang with me and 99 in studio, we are together. Hi, 99. Hi. How you living? Living. I like, no, 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 no. I love yeah. your eyeshadow. Thank you. It's eyeliner. Liner. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. making me very happy because it's sparkly. That's why I put it on. Because every time I'm like, if I put this on, at least I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's fine. Yeah, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. it's very happy. Thank you. I love it. You look Thank great. You. And many of the faces. Do you like my blush? I do. <laughs> I do. Thank you. So we great to have you here. I appreciate you. Um, Pleasure to be here. Always a great, uh, great happiness uh, in me to be here. How long was the drive? Uh, about eighteen hours. Oh, broken over two days, and you know many stops. You hear that, unfucker trucker? <laughs> Bye-bye. Many faces making it happen on the road. Yeah, yeah. It's good gig. drive. Good drive. It's pretty great. Yeah. Well, uh, I am pleased that everybody is here together. I love it. I love when we're together. And I think Unfuckers appreciate it as well because it brings dynamism into our show notes and our episodes when we're kind of in our convivial mood all together. A couple notes before we begin. The first thing I want to point out is that in show notes, we never really have the opportunity because it would be kind of ridiculous to do this. Uh, to thank all of the people who are purchasing our native roasted coffee mm. from the Puspatuck Reservation in partnership with our friends uh, from Native Coffee Traders. We had a lot of sales in December, as you can imagine. So there was a lot of, I assume, Hanukkah and and Christmas gift giving of our unfucking blends. So we've got unfuck your morning, unfuck your afternoon, decaffeinated unfucking, mellow Maynard, maybe all sitting by the Hanukkah bush or the Christmas tree and People were unwrapping it, and now they're in an altered state of caffeination, which is really <laughs> exciting. So sales were really great for December. All of that goes to you know help support the show, and we're very grateful. We don't get a chance to call those individual purchases out. So many of you have actually taken out subscriptions, so you're getting a monthly supply of coffee, which is really exciting as well. Uh, so we just wanted to take a minute to say thank you for giving us a great December. We're looking forward to... Obviously, continue our, our collaboration with Native Coffee Traders in 2023 and beyond, maybe even introducing some new blends. I believe the next blend is going to be a surprise to me. It's going to be authored by and designed by and named by 99. I'd Ooh. like to stay out of the mix on that. I don't think this is brand new information. Mm. No, because you said next time I choose. I think I wanted to pick the genre for the theme song. Yeah, that's not going to happen. I just said all I wanted was genre. I didn't say I'll write it. That's probably not going to happen either. (laughs) But the coffee is going to be all you. Fine. I guess I will. Okay, great. (laughs) And then after that, it'll be a hip hop blend. Oh, okay. Right? Sure. Yeah, why not? Why not? Fuck it. We already have that genre. You know a couple, two, three (laughs) things about hip hop, I assume? Couple. Okay. Uh, So thank you to everybody who supported us with coffee sales. Now, I also want to celebrate something which is very cool because it happened last night. 
even though we fell dramatically short of our goal of having 420 paid members to the show, we did tick off our 300th paid member to the show. Right. So, which is very cool. So if you want to figure out, you want to learn anything about subscribing to the show as a paid member to support us, you can go to unftr.com and find all the information you need to become a member there. Or you can go to directly to buymeacoffee.com slash UNFTR and uh, take out a membership there. But we got 300 on the nose, which is really, really cool. So thank you. Thank you, everybody, for giving us a wonderful holiday present. And uh, for 2023, I'm going to frustrate everybody in this room by saying that we are going for broke and are going to be doing some extraordinary things in 2023, not just with the incredible content that we come up with and we produce and we put out, but we're going to double down in a few different ways. So we've got a very special project that will be hitting the shelves. Yes, the shelves uh, in 2023. And... We have a new product, and that's all I'm going to say about it. It is a, an informational product. It is a, a type of show. When is it coming out? I don't know. What format is it going to be? <laughs> Only I know. And uh, yeah, like I said, it's going to piss off everybody in this room. And we'll talk about it maybe when the mics are closed. And if I don't return sometime in the new year, you'll know it's because I'm dead and they've killed me. <laughs> Send help. I guess it can't be helped at that point. No, no. After the fact. Okay. Yeah. So uh, with that, any other thoughts? I watched uh, Glass Onion last night, by the way. Don't, no spoilers. Okay. I heard it wasn't as good <clears throat> as the first one. It's not Again with the throat clearing. It's happen. <laughs> you are the engineer. <laughs> it's not as good as the first one, but it's delightful. It's, a, it's just a knock around holiday movie. It's fine. It's not a holiday movie. It's just a knock around movie. It's fine. It's fine. I wanted to watch The Fablemans, but that mm. shit was like $20 to rent it. And I was like, nah, I'm not going to do that. I'll just wait. Just wait. You know, get it in SD <laughs> for $4.99. Small dick. Uh, hmm. All right. <laughs> Maybe I'll get it in HD. Not going to. Heavy dick? <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I don't, I don't know. know. All right. Uh, any other uh, thoughts to get out of the way before we begin with show notes in earnest? I have no dick comments. All right. Well, then let's get to it. So this is covering two episodes. This is covering our Black and Jewish Alliance episode and our last quickie, How New York Fucked the Country. Mm. And then we've got some general feedback and some old episodes as people work their way through the catalog. Without further ado, let's get to emails. This first one is from Dan H., it is a very long email, and we're going to hit a couple of high points here because it is also a very, very good email. Dan, thank you for all of the thought that you put into this. We'll get some highlights. I really appreciate you delving into this topic, as difficult and thorny as it may be, as it really hit home with me. A little bit about my positionality. I am a white cisgendered male who grew up in a progressive city and was raised in the Reform Jewish faith, mostly by my mother. So that is Dan H.'s background. And here are a couple of Dan's thoughts. I've largely been able to walk through life without having to worry about my Jewishness threatening my livelihood or safety. Beyond holding my nose at the Christianization of the U.S. and the fact that I can sing most Christmas songs purely from osmosis, I don't have to contend with my Jewish identity limiting me in any way. I also have the added aspect of male privilege, which I imagine plays a not insignificant part in this feeling. Conversely, 
As Manny points out in his comments, this lack of awareness is not even an option for black people. One cannot hide their blackness, and I think one of the main themes of your episode that didn't get said explicitly is the difference between visible and invisible identities. So just pausing on that first note, that is, I think, the core of why I drew James Baldwin's sentiments in first and foremost. If we go back to Economics of Racism, which is one of our more popular episodes, we did talk in that episode, I think, in more detail about how immigrants into the nation were able to pass from poverty to prosperity more easily because of their whiteness. And a lot of the white defense in this country, the pull yourselves up by your bootstraps kind of philosophy stems from the fact that, hey, my my grandparents came to this country with, you know, nothing in their pockets and they had they had no family here and they lived in in the ghetto in this city or that city and uh, all the way to me. And I'm a success story. And why can't black people just do that? Same thing happens. So, and and we can see that from Polish immigrants, German immigrants, Irish immigrants, English immigrants. I mean, Italian you immigrants it, across mm-hmm. the board. It was their whiteness that allowed them to pass into the suburban explosion and the another important thing here, credit explosion that happened in the fifties and the sixties. That was really the big transfer of power into the suburban marketplace, single family home, building equity in the way that Americans typically build equity build generational wealth, and then pass it along. That was not an option for myriad reasons that we covered in our Economics of Racism episode that was explicitly designed because of how people present in the world. Now, what is challenging that strategy now, which is I think worth talking about in relation to this specifically, is that our our institutional when we talk about those 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 buzzwords like institutional and systemic i think it's very important to point out that other non-white ethnicities have also been able to go from poverty to prosperity within one or two generations in this country and i'm thinking very specifically because i hear this in the counter arguments against the the black community saying that they have not had the same opportunities as white people the Asian community, for example, non-white immigrants have been able to move into prosperity. And that has put sort of a, that has presented a challenge in the in the minds of certain white people to say, well, you know, others have been able to do it. It's not strictly a white thing. But if anything, I think that that actually more, that codifies the systemic racism specifically against the black community in this country, that rules, regulations have literally been written to exclude them generation after generation so that they they haven't been able to follow the same path into prosperity. On the flip side, I'm more hopeful from, I if this was day one, I'm more hopeful that we are at a transition point where that might begin to happen in generations going forward. As, as pitched as the battle is and as pitched as racism still appears to be in this country and, and definitely is, I do feel like the new economy holds more promise for this generation of young black people than ones prior. And some of that has to do with the leveling off of the incarceration rate in the country. 
the end of the war on drugs, the fact that we do have so much legislation that has created pathways for economic development that covers up and obscures what somebody's race might be or how they might present. So looking at names being taken off applications and job applications there, I think that there's more of an opportunity. There's also more money being poured into historically black colleges. There's more money being poured into opportunities through the legacy affirmative action, even though the Supreme Court's doing their level best Mm -hmm. and we'll see what happens this year uh, of them trying to get rid of affirmative action in, in a number of different disciplines. But I think that there's a better opportunity starting if today was the starting point. But if you think about that, that still puts us 25, 30, 35 years away from black people being able to enter into prosperity into this country to the same degree that other ethnicities have been able to do so and to the same degree that they've been able to do so in certain European countries, for example. So it's a great point. Uh, I don't know if you want to explore that any further before, you know, before we go on with Dan's other points here, but I would only say that it may be more than 20 to 30 years. I mean, I know that there's that, uh, I don't know the number that's being, that's, that's bandied about sometimes it's like, you know, it'll take you know, 200 years, you know, on average to, for, you know, at this rate that we're going now for black families to have the, you know, uh, accumulated wealth of, of white families in America, some, some wild number like mm-hmm. that. Um, you know, I, I, mean, I agree with what you're saying. I think that things are better. There's a lot, you know, a lot of opportunities. I'm on, I guess, so many things that I'm not, you know, a black creator, but there's so many grants and opportunities and, and funding and, you know, things that are kind of specifically for, uh, you know, folks from, from those communities to kind of make up for, you know, even women, also women, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of more, a lot of more, there's more equitable, or, or looking at uh, Access creating to ac- like ac- early stage capital and things like yes, that. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So more things like that that are looking at, you know, who have we traditionally underserved? Um, you know, if that keeps up, uh, despite the attempts by so many to stop that sort of uh, progress, then yes, I think it's uh, we're in a better position moving forward. You know, but but so far behind, to, you know, what a starting at a point that they're so far behind to begin with. Yeah. You know? Well. That I think the tax code has a lot to do with it as well, and it's going to be interesting to mm. see what this administration and subsequent administrations do with uh, capital gains and inheritance, inheritance taxes, estate mm. taxes, and things like that. Because one of the other things that we covered, it might have been in the same one, was how generational wealth does transfer. And in this country, the white Americans had such a, a huge head start with the access to credit the access to home ownership, which is the, I mean, 90% of equity that's built in this country for for most people is built through home ownership and through generational wealth and the generational wealth transfer. That not existing for the black community has been one of the biggest reasons that the that their economic opportunity yeah. has been suppressed. Going forward, if that is addressed, that might help kind of, I don't want to say even the playing field because mm-hmm. you're right, the historic head start is, yeah. is something that might not exist in other countries that to this we, degree to this degree un, unless we look at um you know apartheid south africa mm-hmm. you know and or if we look at the caste system that still exists that very much still exists in india mm-hmm. there are other parts of the world that have this similar type of experience but speaking about the united states specifically um it it's possible it's possible that through some good economic and tax policy we can try to, you know, create more more opportunities, but it is going to take, I mean, just decades and decades. There's this, no two ways about this it. This isn't a conversation for now, but uh, I don't know if it's ever a future topic for a show, but it might be the uh, 
you know, pros, not pros and cons, but uh, the economic feasibility of uh, some sort of reparations on top of all that. So that's a real, you know, dicey area to get into, too. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it is. And I think the only time that we really touched on that was in it might have been culture cancel or it might have been one of the tributary episodes of that we did on Native Americans in that mm. if you wanted a proving ground for reparations, mm, that's right, the yeah. easiest, fastest, most most efficient, economically efficient way to do that would be to have some sort of program that filtered directly into uh, Native communities because and, – and again, it wouldn't be equitable. It wouldn't be even. It wouldn't even be 100 percent right because there are state-level – as, as we talked about with our our friend John Kane, there are some there are some natives that are still not quote unquote recognized because they either do not live on a tribal area, recognized federal tribal area, or they're part of a state area, or they're in an area that has been historically native settled but is not recognized by either a state or a federal entity. But for the most part, if you wanted to do something like that, the proving ground is right there. And I think it would be an amazing proving ground to do that because you cannot build equity, as we've talked about as well, on a reservation in the traditional way that you would build equity off reservation. So it would be interesting to see if we could do something like that. Moving on in Dan's comments, I don't see white Jews on the front lines of the BLM movement advocating for accountability and change. And likely what's more common, we don't see Jews in positions of power using that authority to enact change where they can. So I do want to pause here again. Dan, I would have to push back on this slightly only because there are so many Jewish organizations and I think if you look from the vantage point of the synagogue as a community organization, I do think that there is a lot of social justice advocacy happening within synagogues, within some of the historical Jewish organizations that promote social justice. The difference there is... I don't know say if it's a difference, but we have to talk numbers when we talk about Jews in the United States or anywhere in the world, we have to talk about numbers. There are just not that many Jews in the United States to create some sort of mass movement. I mean, I vividly recall a number of Jewish leaders, specifically rabbis and community organizers, promoting Black Lives Matter. Where it got really dicey was that there was an anti-Zionist strain of Black Lives Matter so if we're just talking about this one movement, there was a fracture that happened early on and it fractured actually in many places. So there was a feminist fracture, there was a Zionist fracture, and then there was a fracture within the black community of organizers as well as to what are we going to stand for? What are the core tenets and what are the principles? And just like Occupy in a lot of ways, it stood for so many things that at the end it didn't stand for one thing that would be vivid, visible, and able to rally behind. So in, in many ways, it became an object that many organizations could look at and say, yeah, but they stand for that too, so you can't stand for the whole thing. So I think Black Lives Matter isn't necessarily, even though it's the most visible and recent, it's not the best representation of a Black opportunity movement, economic opportunity, and Black Lives Matter you know, organization might look like because there was such a fracture in the beginning. I think Dan's probably just using that as 
shorthand for any protests as I think it's come to mean these days Mm -hmm. because there's a difference between like thinking Black Lives Matter and then Black Lives Matter, the organization. But the part that stood out to me was just, I don't know that you can in earlier statements say that you don't have to walk around in your Jewishness and you can't hide and then be like, I don't see Jews there. Like, well, right. what do they look like? They're right. all, hi- what they're all you, hiding. What are you looking for? <laughs> right. So I just, I understand mm. the sentiment, but it is a little hypocritical to be like, where are the Jews? And be like, I don't, I just assimilate. So. And it's funny because, and he does, he does mention the Orthodox community at a different point in this email. I don't know if we get to it, but so again, you've got the visible Jewish community in the Orthodox or the conservative Jewish community. And in which case, I do think that you see some alignment among conservative Jews with the social justice reform measures that are out there. The Orthodox community to me is a complete outlier. And like I said in that episode, it's not something I'm willing to tackle in this context simply because I'm just unaware of how that community is hardwired. It's just something I don't know about. I also think this points to the larger, the point that there's no visible leader, right? So mm. this also goes to the black community. And, mm-hmm. and you know, back in the days, you had Martin Luther King. And, okay, that was that was your guy. And and Rab, uh, Rabbi Heschel, right? The, yeah. it was on a national stage, that's who Walter Cronkite was talking about. And that's who was at leading these national marches. And they were the center of attention. That's where the spotlight was. And, of course, you had different people in different places. But they were so much above the fray that they were the ones. Even in the black, in any community right now, you don't have – a leader like that, you know, even on the right wing, you have all these, you know, weird folks doing weird things all over the place. So it's fractured, which is a maybe a blessing and a curse. But I think we then underestimate how much work is being done on a grassroots level. Mm-hmm. So when you say a, a synagogue in a community could be doing some great uh, uh, coexist, you know, the, the coexist bumper sticker, coexisting work with other faiths. You know, we didn't even mention, you know, anti-Muslim sentiment in America, right. you know, and how that fix, factors in. But they might be doing some great, great work in a community. And we wouldn't know that because we're not on the ground in that community. Right. I talk about this in, in with, through a hip hop lens sometimes. Like there should be more, you know, protest music in hip hop. You know, I said, well, Questlove famously said this on, on his Instagram once. And I was like, uh, it was right after Ferguson. Mm. And I then responded, well, here's 10 songs that were released between the time Ferguson happened and the time you made this statement. But they're not on the radio. They're not, right. But they're done by folks like Tef Poe, who was uh, a St. Louis, Missouri artist who was actually involved in uh, being an activist, you know, before what happened in Ferguson happened in Ferguson. So, and I know, uh, you know, rest in peace, my, my my friend Majesty, who was on the ground locking arms with people, you know, in uh, in in, uh, in New York City protesting the, the police killing of Eric Garner and then had album release parties. And in the album release parties, you know, you've been to album release parties, there's merch, there's tables with shirts and you're selling, you know, uh, you know, vinyl now sometimes. He had Copwatch, the organization, had a table at his album release parties. Copwatch is an organization in New York oh, yeah. that would tell people how to film the police and how to properly protect your rights. This was years before uh, George Floyd, mm-hmm. right? But it was that kind of sentiment that let us see George Floyd, right? So I'm not saying that there's a direct correlation, but what I'm saying is that this kind of work was being done by hip hop folks on the ground in hip hop cities like New York. Um, mm-hmm. But you wouldn't, but then you look at hip hop as a whole and say, well, it's not conscious anymore. Right. It doesn't have that. So I, long way of saying that that I'm sure there are Jewish organizations. I, you know, as I mentioned in my in my post musings musings, is that I know that they were fighting and being arrested on the ground. So I know that those things are happening, but that's not what's being publicized. And because we don't have a a center figure at the top anymore, eh, it just kind of gets lost in the sauce. Right. And 
when we talk about the Jewish perspective from this, I think what Jonathan Wiseman was trying to say in Semitism is the big name Jewish organizations have had to shift to a pro-Israel policy, Mm. first and foremost, through fundraising and through advocacy and through public stances, that it is kind of mitigated all of the other social justice work that Mm. they do on the ground. Doesn't mean that it's gone. It just means that it's not what is put forward because the Zionist movement needs to make sure that they are first and foremost in all things that are said, because if we lose the homeland, then none of the other stuff matters. We can criticize that. We can actually unpack that and talk about that as much as we want, because that is a strategy. And Wiseman's take on it is that that has done the Jewish community a disservice because it's made them strike a single note. Ironically, where the black community struck a single note through the first half of the civil rights era, what we would consider the civil rights era, and then fractured into a million different you know pieces. It's amazing to me that somebody like Farrakhan still endures as such a significant member in the black community. And we talk about this with extremism all the time. For every Farrakhan, there will be multiple cheap imitators, which I think we're seeing with the black Hebrew Israelites and even some more hardline groups that are kind of a knockoff of that. That's how I feel about Newt Gingrich. That monster gives birth to (laughs) Eric Cantor and Paul Ryan, who then give birth to Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Boebert, and Matt Gates, and who the fuck knows what's coming next. All of these big kind of idea moments wind up getting fractured, lost in the shuffle, and then the co-opted. Cheap Im- co-opted, and then yeah. the cheap imitators that take the worst elements of it wind up becoming kind of the new public voice, which is the crisis that the GOP is in right now, where the loudest voices in the room happen to be the most dangerous And people that in a million years would have never seen elected office in this country, right? So similar in the black community. So now the Jewish community has its moment where they have moved through the socioeconomic status in this country to gain acceptability in industries beyond the ones that they were relegated to in the garment and entertainment industry, for example. They have a homeland that they are very connected to through the organizations and on the ground structures here. But they also have a fracture at the, I would say, the secular and also the community level where the orthodox community is very different from the conservative community. And then you've got the conservative community is very different from reformed Jewish community, which is very different from the secular community. So if the secular community, Jewish community in this country represents both the left and the right, because you've got some very conservative Jews in this country that are totally secular, but they're capitalists. And then you've got secular Jews like 99 that are very left because that's how they were brought up. That's how they were inculcated, not from their religious side, but from the cultural side. Is that a fair way to say that? Because your parents are pretty left-leaning, right? Yeah. And how much of that do you feel came from your Judaism as a religion versus Judaism as your culture? Probably very little of it from religion from my parents, just because they're not very religious, but they were both raised, you know, the principles might have distilled down and then just became part of culture and not religion, but mm-hmm. they're interchangeable. So, yeah. Yeah. So, Dan, I, I think it's I think it's a um, that's a tricky one for all the reasons that we just enumerated. But the lack of a figurehead, for lack of a better term, the lack of a figurehead in the Jewish community to really rally behind because the Jewish community is fractured, but their single note that they've been able to stand behind is Israel. 
and we're going to talk a little bit more about that with somebody. They need a pope. They do need a pope. They need a pope. Well, it's funny because Sam Cedar from Majority Report calls Ben Shapiro the self-anointed pope of the Jews. (laughs) Now, Ben Shapiro is an interesting character who has punched so far above his weight in the culture that I do think that it's doing a disservice to the Jewish community because- (laughs) Understatement. Yeah, right? His views are so extreme. He's one of the more hypocritical theocrats that you'll ever hear. Because he paints himself so as a theocrat, but he picks and chooses the battles right. that he wants to to stand on. When know? I did my musings, I was like, uh, at some point, I was like, you know, the ones who are really causing the problems that we have to watch out for. And I said, and I said, uh, and and they're not black. And I wanted to say they're not black and they're not Jewish. I was like, oh damn it, right. Ben Shapiro is <laughs> right. So Ben Shapiro is super problematic, yeah. I think, for the for the Jewish community and something that needs to be dealt with. And, but I don't and think be emblematic of the Jewish community. Right. General feelings. Well, then I think again, you could say that then. I feel like that's not know, fair. Because well, then you can say, if you're going to pick out one person, then pick Kanye and say, then they're black and Jewish. Yeah, or but they're in, not. In, I, it was in the context of what I was saying in general, you know, in general speaking, that it's they're, they're neither. But then again, I don't know how we uh, could characterize some of the other um, holders of, of holders of power. I don't get into this conversation now, but people who, who have some sway in the, in, in entertainment or in media that run happen to be, you know what I mean? So I, I, I wrestled with that because Ben Shapiro is so prominent is what I'm saying. He's yeah. such a big figure. So again, I, I believe, I don't think people listening to Kanye West, that's what I'm saying. People are listening to Ben Shapiro and, and, and he's, he's influencing people to do things. Nobody's listening to Kanye West that way. That was my point at the time. And I remember I'd have to rehash my my own words back then. See, Chappelle is where we have, I think, more of a difference of opinion. I think as far as Kanye is concerned, if you don't know that he has completely left his senses, you know, people used to say, he's punking everybody. That's gone. That that sentiment, I think, is gone. (laughs) Where I think we have a little bit more of a difference of opinion is with a figure like Chappelle, who in my mind has transcended both comedy and blacktivism mm-hmm. because he is now a prominent figure in the culture. Ben Shapiro's reach, though, right. might be bigger than even Chappelle's. Oh, I think so. And both of them position themselves as spokespeople for American culture. And to me, that's highly problematic and is what makes me take Chappelle out of the conversation and what makes me take Shapiro out of the conversation. The difference there is that there are so many more black Americans, so many more leaders. So we talked the fracture in the movement, right? For every Farrakhan, there's a William Barber right. doing unbelievable work in the legacy of Martin Luther King. Right. But Ben Shapiro, as the self-anointed Pope of the Jews, as Sam Cedar says, <laughs> is singular in his representation of the Jewish community these days because there are so few Jews that have that level of prominence mm. in the culture. You can't discount the numbers in this equation. There are just not as many prominent Jewish activists that would be considered the center of the culture. So, Dan, that's Mm. where I sort of drift from your point a little bit. I understand the sentiment behind what you're saying. Jewish advocacy is there, and it's probably happening in a community level, as, as Manny says. But let's go on with Dan's point. Max asked at one point how the Jewish community should extend a hand back and pull up the black community, but I don't think that's a fair ask. It implies that Jews have more power than they actually do as Jews. The power they hold is in being white. And I mean, our engineers out Stop of control. It. It's ridiculous. Right? <laughs> Knocking shit over. The power they hold is in being white and advocating against a system from which they benefit 
to better the lives of black people and people of color generally. The Jewish community doesn't have some secret sauce that helped propel them to the social and economic status they hold today. They just pass as white, and those in power have decided that's good enough. I mean, I don't think it's a fair ask. So the reason I think it is a fair ask, Dan, is that there are, again, I'm generalizing among reformed Jews, which make up the the vast majority of Jewish people in the United States. And I guess we can add the left secular Jewish community. There are communal structures that allow them to advocate. And it typically comes through temple, synagogue in our neck of the woods here, which has a very, very pronounced Jewish population. You have organizations like the UJA, for example, that can rally that type of activism around Jewish causes and from a historically marginalized perspective. I think what needs to happen, the ask that I'm saying here, when I say reach a hand back is not like here, here's a job or here's money or, hey, there's economic opportunity or, you know, I'm going to buy these parcels of land and give them away to black people. Like I'm not talking about some form of reparations. What I am talking about is representation and advocacy and consolidating and coalescing the voices within the communal structures that already exist. And that is the temple, the synagogue, or the organizations like the UJA that can do this type of advocacy because they understand at a much deeper level than anybody else in this country what it is to be historically marginalized almost to the point of extinction, which is a whole other level. And it's one of the things that I don't want it to get lost in our discussion between the black experience, the Jewish experience, or any other marginalized experience. And it will dovetail into our conversation about Israel. You have to understand the difference between being enslaved and extinguished. And this is where the native perspective, I think, helps inform my perspective on the Jewish plight in the world and historically and throughout history. So as a matter of fact, so the first gift that my mother-in-law gave <laughs> gave to me and my wife was a book called Jews and Indians. She was so taken with the fact that I had native heritage and marrying into a Jewish family. It was like the only thing more acceptable to her than my wife marrying another Jew was marrying somebody that could claim some sort of native descent, right? Because there was a shared understanding and she was a, she's okay. she's still a brilliant woman she's a very scholarly woman and to her that represented something about two cultures that have faced extermination you can't have a conversation about jews in the world without bringing people say right. oh you, why are you always using the holocaust and you can't use that same type, you know thing <laughs> right. right yeah no no you can because that was a deliberate attempt to exterminate a people based upon a religion and a culture. The same thing happened with Native Americans that were ex exterminated literally through violence, but then also an attempt to exterminate their culture as we covered in the Indian residential schools episode, right? So there is an alignment there that I think helped me appreciate. But then I also worked with a, a Holocaust group for probably about a decade and worked very closely with them talking to survivors and we're losing survivors on, you know, literally every day. And we'll be within a, a few years of there being no survivors of the Holocaust left, which is why it's important for us to carry on the legacy. 
You cannot talk about the Jewish experience in the world without understanding the threat of extermination. That is a different fucking level of marginalization that people don't appreciate and they don't talk about it enough and it's not taught in schools. So here in New York, again, take the veil off. We learn probably a lot more about it than other places in the country. I think that's a fair thing to say only because I've talked to a lot of other people from other parts of the country that are like, yeah, no fucking idea. <laughs> like literally don't even know the word. Like they know the word, but they have no association with the meaning of it. And mm. they knew Hitler was a Nazi and that was a bad guy. And they tried to kill the Jews, but didn't know this systematic extermination plan that mm. existed and the world was fucking okay with it. Mm-hmm. You can't separate these conversations. Makes sense. Right? The hand back that I'm talking about is being able to say, no, 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 we get the black plight in America. And as a matter of fact, we get the native plight in America. We get all of the plights because we understand it at a different degree. Allow me to talk about it mm-hmm. as a Jew. Mm-hmm. And I will also acknowledge that any of these type of marginalization or extermination attempts is not okay on our watch. And now that we are in some sort of prosperous zone in this country, we're never going to let it go, but we're never going to forget. So all of these conversations can be true. Right. The Jewish experience can be different and next level. And also, it can be much harder to walk through this world as a black person than it is to walk through as a Jewish person. Those are not mutually exclusive ideas. And that's, I think, where... I think what you provided at the end of the episode, the reason I think it resonated so much with people is because you put a direct expression to that idea that, no, 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 black people cannot walk through the world in the same way. And I think that's what really resonated with people. And the thing that I don't think I teased out enough in the actual text was how closely aligned the two really should be in this country still today, economic disparity aside. How closely aligned yeah. that those things should I got really that, be, but right? I, you know, you might feel it wasn't, but I got that. And I think that that's the, the point is here. And, but the, but your final point, which I then echoed was that, oh boy, if they all got together, you know, if everyone got together and realized this and kind of put all this, uh, some of the issues aside or whatever and said, you know, can we, can we come together on, on this mutual understanding and really do something with intent and purpose, mm-hmm. then that's powerful. Mm-hmm. Just like we talk about, you know, Martin Luther King and the whole uh, poor people's movement, which is like, hey, poor white people. <laughs> hey, poor black people. Hey, poor Latinos. Hey, poor. Y'all all poor. If we right. just all came together, you'll realize that it's they're targeting us, not any one group, you know, particularly. It's and that's all of what us. had the establishment free. Right. So the same thing here, which your final point was that the people who are actually able to put out the narrative and try to, you know, still have power and want to retain that power are doing whatever they can to keep those rifts wide and chaotic, Uh, you know, so. Yeah. 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 That gets to Dan's next point. Dan, you really wrote a great email, by the way. Apparently so. I mean, seriously. Next point was, thank you for including Israel. It's been a major frustration in my life. I can't wait for the full unfucking on the Israeli-Palestine conflict because it's been a fascination of mine for a long time. I'll hold off on all my thoughts on the topic for now, but I appreciate you adding this element to the episode. Well, it was essential. Mm. It was essential to add this to the episode because it has become kind of the fulcrum in this whole discussion. And it's something that, again, as Wiseman said in the book, 
I don't like the way he characterizes the young left. That actually bothered me a little bit when he talks about the young woke left on the college campus and needs to check a box. And one of them happens mm-hmm. to be anti-Israel in all things. Mm-hmm. So even, you know, Wiseman has that red line where he's like, just take that out of the equation, please. Right. You can be an advocate for all these other things, but take Israel out of the equation. But he also makes the keen point that putting Zionism at the center of all of these advocacy groups has done the Jewish community writ large a disservice because it's focused all of the attention there. It's like you can't have your cake and eat it, too. You can't say that we all exist to support the state of Israel. That's where the bulk of our money is going to go in our advocacy and our legislative policy and our lobbying. And also we do a lot of these other things. It's like we need to kind of figure out a little bit more of a balance here and be able to have harder conversations about is it Israel that you're against or is it the Likud party and all of the other hardliner far-right splinter groups? So what I will say, Dan, is that when we get into the Israel-Palestine issue, it's going to be probably the most difficult episode that we ever do. And it is not going to please probably anybody is my guess. I mean, I think it's going to rankle somebody's feathers somewhere along the way. But it's critical. It's mission critical to talk about it because unless you either see the Palestinian people as a people with rights or you see them as not a people, which is the very hardcore Zionist movement does not see the Palestinian people as a people. And that's something that I've come to learn over the years and talking to my Zionist friends who are like, they're not even a people. I can't talk to those people. There's going to be nothing in that episode that's going to make them happy, right? (laughs) And also the people that say that it is only land for the Palestinians are being partly ahistorical and not understanding the balance of power that has existed in that region for many, many years. What we're really going to have to grapple with is what Kwame Ture said in, well, why don't you just go back and take over (laughs) Germany Because we're talking, again, we have to parse the difference between Ashkenazi Jews, Sephardic Jews, where Jews migrated to historically. There's a reason that Jews talk so much about the great historical migration that has existed since they were a people. And that is because they have never been able to settle anywhere for extended periods of time to claim a land as their own. So when they talk about we are the original people, there's some truth to that. But then you have Palestinian people that are like, yeah, but we've been here for like 400 years. They were like, it doesn't matter because we were here a thousand years before that. How far do you go back? Because if you hold that as your logic, then we really should all leave the United States and go back to where we all came from and just give it back to the natives. Like, right. There's there's so many layers to this that you are go going far to- enough back. We'll have to go to Africa and there will all, everyone in the world will live there. And it's and it's just too many, too many people, just too many people right? in one place. Eight billion. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Come on. (laughs) Sounds like harmony. Yeah. It does. It sounds like Pangea. Yeah, I think we can give the United States back. I don't want it. You don't want it? No, we should give it back. Great. Let's start a movement. We're agreed. Is there a movement for that? I knew there was a simple solution to this. Yeah. I thought we were just like overcomplicating this whole thing. What about everyone has to do 23andMe, and then your biggest percentage, you go back there. Even if it's like (laughs) your partner has a different one, everyone, and then you just like start a new life. And then the government has our data, and- but it doesn't matter. We're all equalized. This is a good, this is a good movie. Plot. And everyone has money. And everyone has money. Okay. <laughs> and world peace and there's no hunger. I love and it. And sickness. All we had to do was ask 99 this whole time. I mean. And sitting right here. Yeah. Right. Cooking up a, a, a whole answer to the problem. It's fantastic. But then in reality, I own 23andMe. So 
I have all your DNA. Plot so twist. I control it all. Dun, dun, dun. And all people over 75 have to go. Once no, again. Here we go with that. I'm older than him. I'm going to get there first, bro. Once again. Sorry. The Jews control everything. <laughs> Even 23 and me. Probably. I knew it. Just kidding. That was me being tongue in cheek. <laughs> all right, then. All right. Are you researching something? Yeah. Uh, Marcus Garvey's movement to oh, repatriate right. to Africa. Sure. Very interesting character that we only touched on briefly. I mean, I think we name checked him, but we really didn't talk about him. But he predated a lot of the movement, but he became sort of the spiritual head for the black consciousness and black power movement to the extent that he was like, when somebody told him to go back to Africa, he's like, not a bad fucking idea. <laughs> Right. You know, who's going to run your economy? Right. When they everybody with me. And I will yeah. go and mm-hmm. let's go. Let's yeah. fucking go. And he was a re- he was just such an interesting figure. He had a, sort of a tragic ending to it all. Oh, didn't they all? But it's one of those things where he wound up being in, in prison, brought up on some charges of, of whatever mm-hmm. that you have to wonder whether or not they were trumped up charges or my guess is probably. Anyway. So, Dan, great job bringing all this to the forefront. It's like you were live tweeting the entire episode <laughs> and making it happen. So that was that was extraordinary. So thank you for all that great feedback. Thanks, Dan. With that, let's get to uh, Will Watkins. Hold for it. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Hi, I'm William Wallace. Perfect. Okay. Those are horses. It's as good as you're going to get this week on Fuckers because <laughs> yeah. Manny's in New York. So Will just said... Black folks need allies, so do the Jews. We need each other. And I agree. And Shelby gives her kudos to Manny and thinks the episode was excellent and it made her see things in a different way. So thank you for that. Um, Manny, do you want to read Emmanuel's since I just stole yours? What? You stole mine. Yeah. Where's Emmanuel's? There's a thing called scrolling. Just highlighted it for I see. You. Oh, so it wasn't highlighted. Oh, here we go. Because there you go. Pay attention. It wasn't highlighted. Because right. I stole yours. yours. Emmanuel said, I just listened to your latest episode on the black and Jewish divide in the U.S. Great stuff. But I must admit, I'm a little confused on your stance on Israel. Rut row. Unless I'm mistaken, you said you believe Israel have a right to, res- to exist. Shortly after this, you played a clip from Kwame Ture, who was staunchly anti-Zionist. He says, quote, what the Jews should do is take Germany. Why do you go to Palestine? which we just mentioned that clip, uh, I would have expected that a settler co- a colonial state such as Israel, backed by the strongest settler, settler colonial project in the world, USA, would be easily put in the no right to exist category for you. This is not to say Jewish people do not deserve a homeland and there's a large anti-Zionist Jewish movement in the U.S. However, to say Israel has a right to exist is to endorse the Zionist project founded on ethnic cleansing. I fail to see any basis of legitimacy for Israel as their origins are in entirely rooted in far-right elements. No. Uh, and then at the end, uh, can you please elaborate why you think Israel should have a right to exist? I know you'll discuss Israel later, so if you'd rather wait, uh, if you'd rather just wait until then, I'll be patient. But this was to your point before. Yeah. So, yeah, I would rather wait to fully litigate it because there are dates here that are super, super important. So we can talk about the founding of Israel on the heels of World War II. 1948, I believe, was when Israel was technically founded. Then you've got the the war in 67, and then you've got a number of other really important dates some of them are Palestinian dates. So you've got the first and second infantadas that are very important. You have to talk about those. But we have to talk about where the land was, what the idea originally was. And the hard part is, so the first Israeli prime minister is Ben-Gurion. 
ostensibly these days considered a heretic to the far right Zionist movement. You know, there's a good amount of, I think, scholarship on the fact that Gurion was very much intent on taking the balance of the land in what we now would refer to as Palestine or was then referred to as Palestine. Then there are other hardliners today that said, you know, Gurion didn't understand that and was content with two states living side by side. What's happened with the land, because we're talking about a very, very small part of the world. I mean, an incredibly small part of the world here. What happened with the land over time is super important. And checking those dates and what was going on behind them is really important. One of the things, though, that I think is rightfully pointed out by some in the Zionist movement is how the Arab nations abandoned the Palestinian people since the beginning. That's why it requires a bigger conversation. There's the United States using Israel, certainly, as a proxy for its militaristic interventions in the Middle East. But again, that wasn't really part of the founding as a concept as much as it became like a, holy shit, you know, we got a foothold and a toehold over there. This is pretty great for us. Yes, oil was discovered. Yes, we knew that there were burgeoning economies over there that were going to be really, really important. We knew that as early as World War I, as a matter of fact. I mean, one of the first people to know that was Churchill when he helped divide up the Middle East after World War I. So when we go into the Israel discussion, we're going to be talking about not just American settler colonialism. We're going to be talking about how the Brits and the Americans and how some of the other winning nations from World War I just sort of blithely carved up the Middle East and created nation states that didn't previously exist. So you're talking about territories of the world that we think about today in the same terms where we'll say that's for the Saudis and this is for Iran and this is for Iraq and this is for, well, those aren't legitimate states in this same calculus. If you say that Israel isn't a legitimate state, then you just have to go back another 30 years and say, well, then those aren't legitimate states either. Mm. For example, in Iraq and Iran, they are predominantly Shia nations that we completely disregarded and carved them up as two separate entities. But they didn't see themselves that way in the very beginning. Then we created all the cultural and economic structures around them. Yes, it was all based on fossil economies and all of that. But I mean, if you look at the origin story of, of any of these nations, except for probably Turkey, when we go into the region, we're going to be able to draw a case that maybe it should have been fucking two countries mm. and not 12. So we can't be ahistorical when it just comes to Israel without putting it into the co larger context of how everything was carved up. We also have to consider not just what our stance was with respect to Israel being created, but we have to consider what the neighbors thought of it. Where was Egypt and all this? Because they were really the center of power at the time. And Israel had a very good relationship with Egypt before it didn't. And now it does again. Like, you know, there's so many nuances to this discussion and I think part of what drives me crazy is when people say they either can exist, should exist, and only exist to the exclusion of the Palestinian people, which would be the Zionist take, mm -hmm. or it has no right to exist. Well, the world is fucking messy. There's an in-between to all of this that has to be vetted and discussed before we contextualize it and talk about what's happening again in the here and now. Because to use that same logic, we the United don't deserve States to be, to exist. Exactly. Exist. Yep. Right. I mean, we are the ultimate example of a colonial nation. I mean, Britain would, you know, oh, oh I think we're pretty good too. You know? They're amazing at it. 
But they were different. They were mm. just like, listen, we want to extract all the good stuff and use <laughs> you to do it. Right. But we don't want to live there. Right. Right. I mean, yeah. we'll live there for the time That's being. True. We're like, can we just kill you and just take it? We're just going to have it. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, so I get it. We're just going to have a more nuanced discussion about it. I do appreciate the sentiment, though, and it's why it's taken me. We've been in the, at this for more than two years now. Israel, Palestine, one of the first issues on the board. But I felt like, boy, do we need a lot of credibility and a lot of time in the game before I tackle something like that? Because, again, it's going to be dicey. I also know that you've been thinking about that particular thing for way longer than two years. That is correct, yes. sir. That is correct, sir. <laughs> And might have had a like a decade long moratorium on even touching the subject. Uh, yeah. Might have, might Maybe. have. Before we move on to general feedback, there's one thing. It's unrelated to well, related but unrelated to Israel Palestine. It was something that I think we were talking about off mic, Max and I, that I don't feel like I articulated properly in my post show musings segment, which is you know when I was saying things about. Where are the people, you know, I said I used AAPI hate, for example, like people are putting up Instagram posts or whatever. So I think what I was getting at and the way I articulated it after the fact of very time to like ruminate is that and relating sort of to what Manny's post-show musings was. Yes, across the board, all of these issues of social justice need more attention. Like that's just a, a fact, mm-hmm. like any marginalized community at any point, we all should be talking about it. We all should be doing something about it. I'm never denying that. I think my biggest qualm is in the community, let's say the social justice community, to use, you know, a blanket terminology. So people who are who are in the work, who are, you know, using social platforms, who are podcasting, who all of these things, mm-hmm. going on the news to talk about it. That's my my sticking point is that the rise in anti-Semitism hate crimes against Jewish people, that's not often in the equation when we talk about people who are already doing the work. So that's where I just want Mm -hmm. to see more representation of like, if you're going to list out, these are the things I stand for, people do not include justice for Jewish people. They just don't think about it. And Mm -hmm. that's where I want it. So it's like, I don't think anyone interpreted it this way, but Mm -hmm. when it was packaged with what Manny said about Black people cannot not be black. Like, so I didn't want it to feel like I was saying like, well, ours is worse because it's not. And I don't want to play oppression Olympics. (laughs) I just want equality in representation when we're talking about an influencer who does influence, like just, you know, hey, put a Jew in there. Talk about (laughs) the fact that Jewish people, you know, we don't also have it easy all the time. So it's not more. It's just it's also equal. So I don't think I articulated it properly because it's an emotional topic for me because it's frustrating. So sometimes I need time to think and ruminate and gather my thoughts. But I just wanted to put that out there since we haven't had a a show notes from this episode. I had the advantage of not doing it live. (laughs) We won't do it live. (laughs) Yeah. So that was, um, I just want to say that that's also like part of the problem sometimes that people have with, you know, you know, liberal woke folk, you know, that are not selective, but they, you know, go for the oppression du jour, you know, and they're kind of like, oh, they're all into it. You know, ah, we stand by you because of this thing. And then I think it like goes back to white business as usual, you know, and yeah. it's like, that's, that's something that, that, and listen, that's just something that anyone who uh, feels that they're an activist or, or have these leanings has to 
keep in mind that all of these things still, because something bad happened today to one group, and that's like at the forefront of when the George Floyd thing, and all of a sudden, like, wow, black people were right about that, that, mm-hmm. that whole police brutality thing. Gosh, I didn't, well, now I know, you know, yeah, but at the same time, anti-Semitism didn't go away that day. It's not like there's only one, there's mm-hmm. only one current oppression to pay attention to. So I think that that's absolutely valid, that people have to remember that all these things still exist, and they're all ongoing, and they all have to be addressed equally. Yeah, and I mean, what happened at the Tree of Life synagogue should be a modern reminder that, yeah, no, no, this shit is right there below the surface with everything else. It never went away and it has to be given the same type of gravity. So if there is a swastika painted on the side of a building somewhere or somebody makes casually anti-Semitic remarks about the Jews controlling stuff or whatever, it's got to be addressed right away. Likewise, it can't just be the Jewish community standing up for the Jewish community to say, listen, we've said it before, please keep us in your thoughts. This is why we do this, blah, blah, blah. There should be other marginalized communities taking to the airwaves and saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. The best, the best guy at this is Cornell West, mm. who will go on that night, as many outlets as he can, and be like, I stand with my Jewish brothers and sisters because we have a shared legacy yeah. and experience of being marginalized and it doesn't happen enough. Yeah. It truly doesn't happen enough, right? Yeah. I think the Jewish influencers I follow will talk about other issues more than the non-Jewish influencers I follow don't really talk about issues of anti-Semitism. Yeah, I think that's totally valid. Totally enough. Okay. Uh, let's get into some general feedback. That we have Sorry. time to do the rest of this. Yeah, we do. Don't you? I think your family is here. Yeah, but they've been... I heard a child. There's probably a child. I saw I saw them. I think we could whip through it. All right, let's through do the it. whole thing. Yeah, I mean, on. some of them. Do let's you get into just... some general feedback. Jenny Y said, 99. So Jenny Y said, I am a special education teacher in where in the world, Wyoming. <laughs> I've been in education since 2008, and I've seen a lot of change for the worse and some for the better. Later in the email, they said, with all that said, I primarily wanted to write in to address the semantics and logistics of an IEP, the Individual Education Plan. This was stated along with PBL, project-based learning, as a different approach of teaching in episode one. To clarify an important distinction, an IEP is a legally binding document. Mm. It is not an education philosophy or approach to teaching. It's a document designed to guide programming, accommodation services, and related services for a student to access the approaches to teaching in the general education curriculum in the general education setting to the greatest extent possible. And then later, again, you mentioned standardized testing in a bit of the episode. It's a whole other can of worms, but did you find in your research the relationship to standardized testing and the companies that create them? Based on what I know, Mm. it appears to be a monopoly and funded heavily by the government to a private industry. Same with textbooks. It's all connected, and it's such a web of fuckery. Not to mention the basic inequity of standardized testing, considering that the testing group used to standardize the test isn't anywhere near as diverse as the groups being held accountable to that testing. Amen. So I wanted to include that second part just because it's something that we really didn't cover, but probably could have, should have in the privatization part, which is the textbooks and uh, the actual curriculum being designed by a lot of the private companies that are out there. I do know that there's a great level of fuckery. So I didn't get to it in the episode, but I thought it best to leave uh, Jenny's voice out there to illuminate that. So thank you, Jenny. Simone A. Just finished listening to Post Show Musings after the second Amazon episode. And even though it's from a long time ago, I had to write in and say, when I kicked Whole Foods habit, I started shopping at Mom's Organic Market. And they're really wonderful, as far as I can tell. Is that just like someone's mom that has? Like, yeah, he's. Out of her they're back, just going back shopping backyard. at their mom's house. Where's your mom's house? It's all go, <laughs> aka a garden. <laughs> Very nice. Uh, hey, Alex P. 
Alex P. says, I try to give credit where it's due in regards to the Biden administration, setting my expectations low. Smart. But what he did to the rail workers is too low. That is one of the most important things he could have done. And what he did was literally worse than doing nothing. Mm. All the while, he claims to be a pro-labor president. There's no silver lining here. He and the Democrats are not on our side and will never be. It's time to look for new strategies. Alex P., I hear you. I hear you. Very, very upset about how that all played out. It turned out to be a more nuanced story. I wonder if it's over. Let me just say that. One of the things that has kind of flummoxed me about the Biden administration is that they don't do things with a tremendous sense of urgency. And then again, I looked back at the last two years and I was like, huh, fuck, they got a lot of shit done. So I know that I've been more pro-Biden than I I personally wanted to be and that more than some of you have wanted me to be. <laughs> you caveat every time, so it's okay. I do, I do. I'm, tor- I'm tortured by it, as you can tell. Yeah. I will say that coming up in the new year, we have an episode about the Biden first half. Hmm. We're going to dive deep into trying to benchmark him in historical context to the best that we possibly can, even though a lot of this stuff obviously takes time to percolate and ruminate. But with the rail workers, I think it's fucked. I think he fucked them. And I also don't know if it's over. I just realized, and he loves trains. He, he loves, loves trains. trains. I didn't, thought, what I a backstabber. Even, I didn't even put it together. All right, I'm going to ready train sounds for that episode and uh, the OJ's backstabbers. I also have a couple what of- that? Trains? I have a couple of sketches. Oh. Already written. What? We're going to come back. All right. I can't believe he would do that. I don't know if it's over. That's the okay. thing. Well, he All right. loves. I know. He loves trains. He loves them. See what happens. Oh, man. <laughs> now, Nate- Nathan W. said, I'm late to reply to public education number two, but the effects of the lack of constitutional right to education can be seen in the plight of Amish children who experience tremendous disadvantage from the limited education of their upbringing Mm. if they choose to leave that culture. The Amish Heritage Foundation is an org that advocates for this issue with a focus on the Wisconsin v. Yoder case. We're going to put a link. I thought it was appropriate to leave this in here because 99 and I were talking about the Amish, and we were talking about Mennonites, and uh, he was all off of it. mic, though. <laughs> oh, was it? Yeah, that that, that never made it into it. I don't remember. This I mean, it made it. I just took it out because we we didn't say anything bad. It was just a long tangent that yeah. happened. Well, know that behind <laughs> the scenes, we had uh, we, we had some very deep thoughts on the Mennonite culture. <laughs> Not really. Okay. I feel like you're making it sound like we were like. Fuck all Mennonites. No, no. Deep thoughts. Just deep thoughts. Just Um, one of you said that. Yeah. (laughs) Did you know that Rumspringa isn't real? Like what they portray in movies? Like they don't like just send them into the the worldly. Like Like, is that what they call it? You get to have technology and have sex for a year and then you have to Yeah, they don't have – like it's just like – I think it literally means like – being a preteen. I listened to a podcast about oh. like Oh, it's like, I sent you into puberty. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, this is, you didn't send me into this happened. Yeah. Uh, so, but okay. it's just interesting that mm, interesting. those TV shows made it up. At least yeah. from what I can mm. tell. I can link it also. I'll link a podcast about it. Well, thank right. you for that, Nathan. The next one from AJH. I think, I don't remember why we were talking about this, but we were talking. I think someone had written in about, was it the Unfucker comment, Yeah. Yeah, written in about what's been happening like this year with trans and just general LGBTQ legislation. Um, hasn't been a great year for that. No. So AJH wrote in and said three great trans folks who are right in the thick of trans legislation, mm-hmm. activism, information, etc. are on Twitter. 
Uh, and they say Twitter's burning, but each of them can also have links to other places. So if you go to their Twitters, you can find it. So Chase Strangio, and then it's at Chase Strangio. Aaron Reed at Aaron in the Morn and Alejandra Caraballo at S Queer. And I will link all of those handles. Thank you, AJH. I think it's important that we have those voices to listen to, especially as we plan on doing one in the new year, hopefully. Yep, absolutely. I second that, uh, or third that in this case. Aaron N. says, I know we should use the cone of silence. We both <laughs> know the world can be a better place and not a hellscape. So I support you with whatever I can muster against the forces of ignorance, also known as chaos. So best of luck <laughs> to all the control agents that are UNFTR. That's three Get Smart references. Very well one done. Short email. Very well done. Indeed. And Val DR said, I just discovered your podcast. Mm. And I'm listening with my husband, with whom I often have discussions on neoliberal indoctrination. We live in Belgium, which is not yet as <laughs> fucked as the U.S., but where right-wing parties are pushing us down a slippery slope, trying to break down the welfare state and blaming immigrants for the effects of the broken system. Well, we certainly give them a good blueprint for that. <laughs> in any case, thanks for your podcast. I wish you all the strength and energy to continue the fight against the neoliberal white supremacist fuckers who are trying to steal your country and the world. Well done, Val DR, and we see you. Thanks for the well wishes from Belgium. I'm yep. sure you're not sending your immigrants to the vice president's house, though, so yeah. can't be that bad. Yeah, you've got a ways to go to get mm -hmm. to our level. So then we heard from the unfucking Dan man who bought uh, the whole bean unfucking caffeine sampler for their wife for Christmas. Mm. Yes, I know you're thinking coffee for Christmas. Sure. We're, we're not thinking that. That's a great gift. That's absolutely. But she's a coffee lover and drinks it every day. So I thought two birds with one stone. I'm not a coffee one drinker. one scone. Yeah, feed two <laughs> birds with one scone. Right. I'm not a coffee drinker. Well, at least I wasn't until I tried the unfuck your morning coffee on Christmas. Then I tried the unfuck your afternoon. And it was like liquid gold. This morning I tried Mellow Maynard and it is quite mellow and delicious. Needless to say, my wife is very pleased and now I'm addicted to unfucking coffee. The only question I have is why did I wait so long to buy this coffee? I love that. We made someone a coffee drinker. That's amazing. Sorry? Yeah, right? <laughs> it's an expensive habit. Yikes. Now, Knudsen <laughs> over on Facebook said, In Wisconsin, the 6th Congressional District re-elected Republican Glenn Grothman. <laughs> Ugh. <laughs> who ran unopposed. <laughs> Can we name shame? Is that cool? Right? <laughs> no Democrat ever bothered to put their name out there to get one of the most ignorant men in government to have to at least spend a little money on himself. Unopposed. This is a big problem. Unopposed racists? Yeah, it's or a big problem. Unopposed racists? Unopposed racists. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's also a big problem. Running unopposed to me is just, uh, well, it, I, it, when they, <laughs> like, uh, who was it? The uh, Taylor Green, who like ran her opponent out of town. Was that when, when she first won? That sounds oh, funny. Oh, yeah. That's a little yeah. funny though. Yeah, I'm picturing like Beauty and the Beast. No, it's like Kill the Beast. <laughs> like that's like, like pitchforks. Yeah, and, I feel yeah. like no, you I don't want my it. community. Uh, that's why people are not school boards anymore. They're scared. They are. They are They're being. It's a big problem. And then yeah, you've got but, people yeah, like Bannon trying to whip people torches. up to go to these. Low, I would run low away from levels. him because yeah. he looks scary. Bannon, but like in a yucky way. Yo, he's disgusting. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I, let me just continue on here. Mm -hmm. uh, Deborah replied, said, I so agree with you. What we found here is the majority of people don't really like either party and they're voting for the person who has integrity ideas and has proven to be a hard worker. They don't necessarily have to agree on anything the person represents. We had some jaw dropping upsets in which candidates pegged to be shoe ins for the race lost to a complete unknown. Mm. Uh, we know that in New York. <laughs> My own county unelected a guy who celebrated the Supreme Court unelected a guy, okay, who celebrated the Supreme Court overturning Roe v. Wade by 20 points, while his colleague of the same party who's worked very hard for a district won 72% of the vote. 
things are very wonky. They were very wonky and and janky, as 99 would say, <sighs> in this last election cycle. And I, the gerrymandering is is got to be a fix to that. What I would love to fucking see is if ranked choice voting was implemented across the board. And we've we've experimented with it, as we've talked about before, in a few different districts and places, mm-hmm. New York being one of them. I think, I think somebody said Hawaii has ranked choice voting as well. So it's something that's got to catch fire and I think would alleviate a lot of this kind of stuff. But it doesn't alleviate the problem of people running unopposed and just mm-hmm. not being able to get some talent. So a lot of work to do. And then uh, why don't you take Christian's comment, Manny, on Instagram? Christian C, can you tackle homelessness and or poverty in America? What can the average person do to move the needle on these topics? I'm in CA, so mainly California uh, or Central America, but it's probably California. And it's a high visibility issue in certain cities and areas. Homelessness and or poverty. Are we tackling this? So I am in my Google Drive, (laughs) opening up my folder. Glenn Grothman. Putting <laughs> homelessness in America in, because believe it or not, I did not have that as a It's just in Max folder. loves the homeless. <laughs> he thinks they should stay that way. Well, that ruins that episode because you've given out my- uh, No spoilers, 99. Why don't they just the get ending. houses? It's <laughs> well, so ridiculous Pull that themselves they up by their foundation. Right? I mean, like, there are houses everywhere. Brilliant. Just go get one. Right. I don't there care. are ha- well, there hard. are houses everywhere. And it's not that hard, it's, right? It shouldn't be that Stop hard. Stop being homeless. There you go. Yeah, so. Kim Kardashian. So just get another job. Oh or yeah, whatever. People it was. don't want to work anymore. They don't work anymore. Just get up, get your ass out of bed, and, and go to work. And then you can get a house. It's simple. Yeah. Um, I've been working for so the answer. The answer, Christian, is yes. And thank <laughs> you for putting that back on my radar. Mm-hmm. Very good. Coffee. So. Allie Kay bought a coffee. So glad that Ahsoke revealed when she went to high school in the education part one show notes. My husband was convinced that Ahsoke was secretly Rosario Dawson using the pseudonym of the character she played in Star Wars. I miss Rosario so much. <laughs> I know. I couldn't believe they broke up. Uh, you really? I couldn't believe they were together. <laughs> Why? I thought they were a good couple. Mm-hmm. They were both vegans. Yep. I'm just going to leave that there. Uh, he's related to RuPaul, remember? Mm-hmm. Please continue. Mm-hmm. There's nothing to be said here. Okay. Am I continuing with the coffee? Sure. Maria from Puerto Rico bought three coffees. I'm old enough to remember the then governor of PR in the times of Bill Clinton introducing us to the Valles Educativos. Can you do it? Educativos. Thank you. System. It was all a scam and a grift. Still Mm. is. I wasn't wise enough then to understand all of it. Thank you for putting everything in perspective with such clarity. And as someone who works in the mental health field, I can't wait for you to address mental health soon. I don't think I knew that Maria from Puerto Rico worked in that field. Neither did I. And I was just thinking of you, Maria, wondering where you'd been. I'm glad you wrote in. And thanks for giving us money. Indeed. Mikey likes at 78, bought three coffees. Have a a blound on me. (laughs) That's when you read the 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 next next word. Yeah. (laughs) Have a round on me. The recent piece on black and Jewish divide was fantastic. Kudos to the work you do. Should I keep going? Sure. W. Jeremy D. doesn't agree with Manny Chappelle take. Five coffees. Thank you. Enoch bought three coffees. <laughs> wait, wait, <laughs> wait. To There's more one. to that than this. These w. are for Manny. Jeremy D. said these are for me. Bought five coffees, all for me. I genuinely forgot that was there. Your post show this week was inspired. <laughs> it you was. forgot that was there I was too? just trying to not. However, re- I disagree with your Chappelle take. I feel many folks who reach the pinnacle of fame and our wealth become disconnected from our reality. They no longer live in a place where genuine criticism is expected. That's more like Max's point, and I kind of agree. I kind of go. I kind of know what y'all are We're saying. We're getting him. All right, all yep. right. 
Oh, so he's too sequestered over there. Well, the thing is, I, I, I rarely do I even brain. have a piece that people could say anything about. Everyone said nice things about what I said this week, and I was just happy. They did. They did because it was it was awesome. I know I don't get to speak that much in the post in the post show. Post show <laughs> oh, I don't get to speak notes. that much. And so this was I don't. Anyway, That's go ahead and find by whatever. Listen, Enoch bought us three coffees and said, "Keep calm and carry on," which I think is good advice for us all. <laughs> DL bought twenty coffees for us as well, and I think she specifically 20. called out wow. Manny. That twenty is a lot. Thank you. And someone else bought us twelve coffees. Nice. Just amazing. And we have some new members, everybody. Eagle Co. Matt mm. is a member. And a local elected official, we struggle finding solutions to housing, healthcare, childcare, transportation, education. But of course, at the local level, all we do is mitigate the consequences mm. of our collective economy. And you've helped me to craft that narrative and to begin speaking in ways that don't challenge the neoliberal zombie thought, but that simply present new and better ways to move forward. Thank you for coalescing the swirling cloud of cold hope into a bright blazing star of nuclear, or that's actually nuclear fusion. Mm. Wow. That's a that's, that's a beautiful, beautiful sentiment. And thank you for becoming a member. You didn't say it right. I didn't? No. Nuclear? It's not you're not saying it with enough like nuclear. Nuclear. Yeah. Nuclear. <laughs> nuclear. Yeah, there you nuclear. Go. That's what we need. Yeah. <laughs> Weapons of nuclear destruction. <laughs> uh, Melissa M is also a member. Thank you, Melissa. I've learned so much from you and FTR. Appreciate how authentic and willing to expand and update your outlook you all are. Mm-hmm. Constantly. Jenny is also a member. Thank you. For your work to unfuck the many fuck things right now. Captain Anthony is also a member, and someone is a member who said every episode is excellent. Everyone. Every single one. Pretty good. Why don't you read uh, this next person, Manny? Uh, Elon Musk fucking sucks. (laughs) Is now a member. I've been listening to your show since the very beginning, and I can't believe it's taken me this long to show support. It's quite all right. Listening is support enough, but we thank you. I'm a Marxist in Montana that has listened to every episode on loudspeakers on my construction sites. I do historic restoration. Cool Cool stuff. You've got a few new listeners and a lot of pissed off drywallers that feel like they have to listen to classic (laughs) rock to work or something. Oh, I love that. (laughs) That's great. Good stuff. Uh, Terry C. is now a member. I'm not a lefty, but I love the fact that your show uses facts. Facts, bro. Too many people have an opinion and then search out facts for the sole purpose of reinforcing that opinion. You search for facts to challenge your opinions. Mm. Curiosity and humility allow you to keep learning and your empathy and compassion let you keep teaching. Thank you. Thank you, Terry C., for those comments. That's something that uh, I need to keep reminding myself that we have to keep challenging our own assumptions. And I appreciate you calling that out. David F. is now a member as well as G. Rumbles. Great work and great use of off-color humor as a relief valve during deep dives into weighty topics. Good stuff. And we had two reviews. Very grateful for the reviews. If you have not left us a review, please try to do so. And it is somebody's cursor is on top of me. That is my cursor from another computer. Great. Spoopy. Who is it? G-S-I-V. G-S-I-V left us a review, said, of all the many podcasts I listen to, this is the most informative, the best researched, Mm. and the most relevant, all Mm. presented, unvarnished, and entertaining. That'll go through my head. That's nice. And the Ferrari family said, love this podcast. Each and every episode has pertinent and mind-expanding information. I enjoy the topics covered and the creative ways that they do that. Always an interesting listen. And with that, family, we have reached the end of a long-ass motherfucking show notes to cap off an extraordinary year where we talked about the black-Jewish divide, public education, talked about Republicans being tough on crime, talked about who Peter Thiel was, what mm. an asshole he is. Was? Where'd he go? He still is an asshole. Mm-hmm. The FCC, 
bipartisan bills that tell everything that you need to know about who we are as a country, how much BlackRock sucks, how much our healthcare system sucks. We talked about student debt, the Clinton years, Prager U, gas prices, peak oil, Amazon. Talked about residential boarding schools and how fucking awful that practice was. The Convention of States. Remember that one? The Convention of States. That's a super scary episode. If you haven't listened to it, you should go back and listen to it. Where's the religious left in this country? We had friends come in and and help us with that. That was a fun one. That was a good one. We talked about Roe v. Wade. We talked about Kathy Hochul becoming the governor of New York and then stealing half a billion dollars from the Seneca Nation. Mm. Right? We talked about... Oh, how Hollywood, really not that liberal. Another friend. That's right. We mm-hmm. had a friend, Crin. Crin G Where's came in Crin on that been? one. Crin, right. where are you at? Crin's out there. He's stalking. He's listening. He's doing jazzing. his thing. He's jazzing. He's mm. writing books. Crin's written so many books. He's probably writing another book. That must be nice about to us? write a We did an unfucking down under. We talked about immigration a couple of times. We talked about inflation and corporate profits. We did a lot of work about libertarians, and it turns out that was your favorite episode on fuckers. The, the two episodes we did on libertarians are exhausting. Which was exhausting. And we said <laughs> that we need to be a vegan world, and that was all inspired by 99 and her worldview and take, and I still haven't gotten there, but it is important for us all to get there. <laughs> hey, folks. Wait, you forgot about our friends. Who? We got, we had Fessner. Yes, yes. Uh, uh, Bessner, what's the other one's last name? Daniel and uh, Danny Dave, uh, Davison Danny, and Dave, Derek. Uh, Derek. Danny, Danny. Too many Ds. Danny and Derek. Yes, yes. there we go. I knew Sorry. it was just in the wrong order. <laughs> we had Lily Geismer. Geismer. Yep. And we had Tom on. We did. We had a fun one with Tom. Was Harry and Amy this him. year? I think it was, actually. Harry and Amy were? I think so, very maybe early. Very I think, I believe, maybe. If not, whatever. And a punch in from John Kane. We did. Close out the year. Anything else? No, I think that's it. Well, thanks everybody, Manny. Thank you for coming all. Thank you for driving eighteen hours to do this show. We really appreciate. <sighs> Got to head back. <laughs> I'm done now. How did you drive eighteen hours though? I mean, sometimes it feels that way. Yeah, I know. I don't have to do it every day. I know New York so, traffic, baby. This week's a dream. So I basically do Manny's drive, like if you aggregate on a week. So who wins? True. Good point. It's me. Yep. And it's I drive me. all the way from my bedroom to Hi. my other bedroom. Yeah. Mm. Mm. So. Okay. I guess over the course of the year. I appreciate <laughs> all of it. And I love you guys very much. And thank you for an extraordinary 2022. And I offer you my sincerest, humblest apologies for what 2023 will bring. Sorry, I wasn't trying to yawn in your face. It's all good. It's all good. Used to it. It's all good. I had to yawn. Okay. Okay, bye. 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 <laughs>